You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Good to have you here. This is going to be a difficult episode, more so than usual. Difficult in a more emotional and spiritual way, not difficult in terms of brass tacks. But honesty and integrity are valuable to myself as well as our company. And as such, I want to take some time and address those nagging feelings we have in the back of our minds, the ones that make us second-guess ourselves, whether or not we're doing good in the world, or if our actions are only fueling further distress. We're going to have a mix of facts that I need to present, as well as my own opinions and beliefs which guide my thought process. So let's start with my perspective. I have a diverse work history. I've done physical labor jobs in the retail and grocery sector. I've done sales, my own freelance as a media producer. There's a few that I'm blanking on. And I've also done background acting. It's one of my favorites. It is a fun and unique job that I think very highly of, uh, one that I would gladly consider returning to later on in my life. You'll find that a lot of retired people take up background acting just so that they have something to do. I even met my current girlfriend on set, and we've been together just about two years as of this recording. On a single day of shooting, things can get kind of repetitive, because you have to redo scenes over and over again. They, they'll, they'll move the cameras into another spot, then you got to do the scene all over again, the exact same way you did it before. So on the day, it, it can, it's, it's quite repetitive, and you're, you're going to have to get used to hearing the one more time from the directors. But once that day is done, it's never the same again. We move on to different scenes, except for those times where we've had to do reshoots. It's a rare case, but it it does come up. I want to bring up two days that stick out to me, which is going to tie into my broader point as we continue. The first was a pretty difficult day from my perspective. We were asked to dress like it was summertime, but the shoot was during the fall. And additionally, we had to look worn down. As in the story, society was in rapid decay. When I arrived on set, the person in charge of wardrobe, aka wardrobe, had me wear my most tattered of pants. The way this works is you bring in a couple of your own clothing options so that they can choose from. Wardrobe isn't prepared to have clothing for everybody, unless they have to, like if it's like a timepiece. No, people don't. Well, I mean, some people do, but not everybody has like medieval clothing in their closet. But... Actors, on the other hand, will probably have some tattered clothing. So I even brought thermals in just to stay a little bit warmer. But because my pants were so torn up, they said, don't wear them. Otherwise, it's not going to look accurate. I spent the next six hours out in the cold. As did about 100 or so of my other fellow background actors. We were on the verge of freezing. And we didn't have the luxury of being able to move around much. One actor, who I made acquaintance with that day, comes up to me and says, how can they treat us like this? After the break, I told the production I gotta put my thermals on. The elements are a difficult part of background acting. One performer even told me of a similar case where she was out in the cold and she had to lay on a stairwell for hours. The money she had to spend on antibiotics outweighed what she earned that day. The second story happened around late September. This was actually earlier than the first story. The first story was October. 
And this time, we were in a luxurious downtown hotel. We were expected to dress like famous people and walk a red carpet to a movie premiere. It was one of my first shoots, and it left a really good impression on me as I moved forward with that career. The problem with it, though, was setup took longer than the production expected, leading pretty much everybody to cancel whatever it was they had planned on doing later on in the evening. So when you arrive on set, you're sitting in holding, where you have to wait until you're called on to set. So holding is just like a different area for the most part. And before we had even gone around to shooting anything, we were in that initial holding phase for probably three hours. I would, I would guess more than that. Uh, that's a long time to do nothing. It took so long, in fact, that an actor that I made acquaintance with that day uh, comes up to me and says, not word for word, but close enough, how can they treat us like this? From my point of view, one of the times it was justified, the other not so much. In every job I've worked, I or someone alongside me had a complaint. On some jobs, I or we were mistreated by management, harassed or even abused. Some jobs we were pressured to apply the squeeze on customers, which led to serious discomfort. Some jobs we were ill-equipped to actually help and wound up taking an unfair amount of abuse from customers who were rightly disgusted with a lack of resolution. As a freelancer, I had this one client who was constantly waffling between calling me an employee and a partner, despite never giving me a raise and paying me poorly to begin with, while also making liberal use of all caps in messaging. Uh, one client still hasn't paid me for work I did months ago. You know, I, sh I'm just, I'm, I should probably mention, uh, I, I, I quite like this job here, but it's been a long road. Chances are, if you've worked a job, you've probably felt mistreated. You are not alone. Large-scale companies are in this day, day and age. Large-scale companies are in this day and age routinely exposed for untenable business practices. I'm about to use two different examples, and by no means are we on the same level, but there are some commonalities. First, we have Fortnite by Epic Games. You've probably heard of this game. I played it for a while, but I wound up quitting because, as a gamer, I don't care for games that constantly change. Things need to improve and grow and expand, and that's fine. But I would play around, go get a cup of coffee, go get a cup of coffee, come back, and now there's zombies. I finished my coffee, used the washroom, and now the zombies are gone. No thank you. Some of us gotta get up in the morning. A report published by Polygon tells of a series of interviews with staff from Epic Games about the working conditions. Employees frequently worked between 70 to 100 hours a week. They had vacation time they could use, but decided not to to avoid peer pressure. Nobody wanted to be that person. This was the result of what game developers know as crunch time, where employees have to kick into overdrive to complete a game on time, say for the holiday season. However, due to the ever-changing nature of the game and the need for it to stay popular, developers were in constant crunch. Still are, presumably. This has resulted in high degrees of mental health issues and burnout. On top of that, Many employees are hired on contract, and the tech industry doesn't have much in the way of unionized protection. This is a disputed issue, I might add, as tech industry leaders claim that unionization would lead to businesses losing their ability to stay operational at all. Personally, I've seen unions go both ways. It's led to apathy among employees since they can't get fired, but it's also improved working conditions so that people didn't walk away from a day's work experiencing a net loss such as the film industry I mentioned earlier. Now, on the other side of the world, we have Foxconn, 
you may not have heard of this Taiwan-based company. Reporting from facingfinance.org, Foxconn has a history of horrible working conditions. Employees are lodged in overstuffed dormitories where there's no privacy and are guarded by militant security forces. The hours are absurdly long with next to no overtime pay. The employees have reacted unfavorably to a lot of what happens. Many have committed suicide, and reports of rioting within the factories are numerous. Workers are often subjected to toxic substances, which also spill over into the nearby water and air, leading to a 70% increase in respiratory illnesses. If you're wondering whether or not this business is our business, well, have you bought anything by Apple, perchance? So again, not a fair comparison between these two, but there are similarities. Employees are pushed beyond their limits, certainly beyond what company policy states. Both companies have claimed to have been made aware of the issue and are looking into it. The leverage has historically been in the hands of the employer and not the employee, as workers can always be replaced. I suppose it is worth pointing out that as bad as the conditions are, they are at least operational and are providing stable, consistent work. It is a low bar to cross, but it's a fact. The article I referenced about conditions in China indicate that they're awful, but things have changed over time, thanks in part to growing public pressure. Uh, one such major public outcry in the 1990s when companies like Nike were held accountable for exploitative labor practices. The situation in China as of today is undergoing rapid change, and the country has some serious issues they need to face. I couldn't find the date of the Facing Finance article, but their sources are cited from 2010. A more recent article from 2018 tells of an entire town built up around this factory, including shops and restaurants. But also that many of these supplementary businesses have since experienced diminishing returns and as such have closed up. Another article in the LA Times, published just a year later, tells of a younger generation of Chinese citizens choosing to reject the lifestyles of their parents, opting instead to start their own businesses or go to school and learn a specific skill or trade. It's not my place to denigrate any supplier you might be working with already, or down the road. I don't know what the conditions are. From a broad scope perspective, China boasts considerable productivity and expertise in tech manufacturing, but over time, the workforce became more provided by the public sector than the government. The younger generation, just as we had our own cultural shifts post-industrialization, want to make their own way in the world. One story that I'm following personally is that India has been positioning themselves to take control of the global demand for manufacturing. According to BBC, India is clearing space the size of Luxembourg, and their national investment promotion agency, Invest India, has been in touch with upwards of a thousand American companies. With China's reputation harmed by COVID-19, India is looking to take advantage of that diminished trust. And it's not just India. There are also possibilities for Vietnam, Bangladesh, South Korea, and Taiwan. All right. I know a lot of time was spent here telling you about issues with the workplace, to varying degrees of nightmarishness. My point is this. Humans suffer. We suffer on the job, at home, in school, bad weather, and worse breakups. Suffering is not often reflected in someone's pay. Doctors aren't paid extra for difficult patients, just as customer success agents are not typically paid extra for being yelled at more times than average. Human suffering is rarely measured on paper, and the only compensation is the empathy and compassion of others. If I were to cast myself off of anything made with even a hint of human suffering, 
I can say goodbye to this job. Again, the, the, jo- the job is fine. I just I wouldn't be able to do it because I wouldn't have any computers. Uh, I wouldn't be watching any TV or movies. I wouldn't have anything to read or listen to. I'll have to make my way into a forest, one that's not protected by the state, and start living off the grid. It's a pretty selfish way of living. So now I can't do any good for anybody. So one question that amid all of this talk, I consider worth asking is, why are you working? Now I can't answer this question for you, but I can answer it for me. Honestly, I want to improve my living situation so that I can self-optimize. I have been very lucky in that I have the support of my parents as I try to make a life for myself. I continue to do a lot of work for free, but I also want to make a good earning so that I can afford my own home. I want my own home so I can arrange my own diet, sleep schedule, social life, and work setting. Not that I I can't do all of those, but I can only do them suboptimally. I want to be better at doing me so that I can better contribute to the net good. And also, selfishly, I want to enjoy my own life better as well. I look for a balance between doing things for myself and doing things for others. The more you do for others, the better. But realistically, as long as your ratio of service to self and service to others is above 95% self, you're fine. Not great, but it's a pass. Okay, so what does this all have to do with e-commerce? Well, I want you to think about how what you're doing has a potential to make a considerable positive impact on others, knowing full well that we live in an imperfect world. When we set up our online stores, scale our ads, and outsource our bookkeeping, we may not be able to fully grasp the favors we are doing to others. But there can be a great deal of satisfaction in running these operations. You may be advertising to someone who doesn't have the time to go shopping, but has a few minutes to spare on their break to check out an ad on Facebook. We shop for enjoyment, but we also need to do it to sustain ourselves and to better ourselves. By using the information gathered by these companies, we learn about the trends and the way people act. We are taking the time to search for products these people can use to make their own lives better. And even if we're selling a product others are too, we can go the extra mile by building a trusted brand, fostering a community of like-minded people, listing reviews publicly to reduce skepticism, having a blog or newsletter to share more information. When we go the extra mile to create a brand that people respect and cherish, we set a standard that others need to match. Otherwise, they fail to earn the trust of the customers. One interesting way I can relate that to this podcast is to consider the method by which I'm putting out content. I don't exactly make this all up off the top of my head. I'm researching and having my peers fact check for accuracy. This information is all freely available, but are you going to spend all day looking into it? I'm doing the legwork for you, and I'm condensing a great deal of information into a digestible medium in a short window of time for your benefit. Now, with so much negativity brought up, I think it's fair and balanced to also bring up some organizations in the world doing good. I'll list some e-commerce sites in a moment, but first I want to extend some gratitude to China Labor Watch. Founded in the year 2000, they provide factory assessment and improvement training, whether it's for community members, activists, or negotiators. They provide a secure hotline for concerned employees to securely address workplace issues. We'll be providing a link so that you can follow up with them. Let's look at some e-commerce sites that are doing good in the world. Uh, Thanks to referralcandy.com, I've discovered Warby Parker. As quoted on their site, for every pair of glasses purchased, a pair is distributed to someone in need. Some of their practices involve creative marketing campaigns like hosting a secret event during the cost-prohibitive New York Fashion Week. They collaborate with other companies and brands, including Man of Steel, since glasses are 
integral to his disguise. They have a brand hierarchy that's listed as follows. First, they're a lifestyle brand. Then, it's value and service. Finally, by their social mission. Another company I discovered via Oberlo is Soap Company. According to their website, their product is eco and bee-friendly and is also paraben and cruelty-free. Uh, additional information I learned from their website, they are fiercely environmental. Their bottles are locally sourced, as well as their materials wherever possible. Uh, their soap wrappers, stickers, and glue are either biodegradable or compostable. Last example is not a business, but a great article with a whole new list from uh, shopamon.com. They list a number of businesses that adhere to the 10 defining features of fair trade, as listed by the World Fair Trade Organization. And those are opportunities for disadvantaged producers, transparency and accountability, fair trade practices, fair payment, no child labor or forced labor, no discrimination, gender equity, freedom of association, good working conditions, capacity building, promotion of fair trade, and respect for the environment. You can find a number of businesses on this list, and I encourage you to check it out. Lastly, I leave you with some takeaways. Number one, relax. Everyone is trying to get ahead. People in impoverished nations go through hellish conditions. But what's even more nightmarish is living in complete abject poverty with no money at all. To them, it beats starving. The world is a place filled with a necessary negative energy that keeps us from losing our balance and our way. If we spend all day feeling sorry for everyone, not only could they not appreciate the pity, but we might end up being the pitiful ones ourselves. Second, don't put the weight of the world on your shoulders. If a product is made in less than ideal conditions, and you really feel like you're in karma's bad books, take some of what you earn and donate to activist groups looking to improve those same conditions. Third, have gratitude. I'm a spiritual guy. I can only speak for myself in that regard, but no matter what you believe, there is a capacity within yourself to be grateful for what you have. Be grateful to your family and friends for being by your side. Be grateful to your job for giving you somewhere to work. Be grateful to yourself for trying to be a net positive. Not everybody will be. All right, what do you think of all this? I know it's a sensitive and controversial topic, and so we're open to feedback. You can email podcast at debutify.com and do not hesitate to reach out. Thank you. You might have found this show on any number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>